And there are, there, there, there's some great things here. Um, there isn't all the Bible, but this is particularly a very interesting chapter as James wraps up. Chapter 4 was pretty concise about how we live together and work together. Um, chapter 5 is going to hit a lot of different topics kind of quick. And today we're going to talk about a faith that keeps wealth in perspective. James is going to um, sound like an Old Testament prophet here as he talks about some of the atrocities that the wealthy are carrying out on God's faithful and the judgment that is coming to them. In light of this, what, what we can learn, what we can see is that if we are going to be a people that have a faith that works, one sense in which we understand this is when it comes to wealth. The way we understand, the way we think about wealth, the way we pursue wealth for many, wealth is the end goal of everything in life. It's a temptation for us as well, right? Uh, who, who here, if I asked, would you like to be rich, would say, you know, n- not me, right? It's, it's a temptation for all of us. To want more, to need more, to look upon those that have great wealth and to think, man, just, just a piece of that. Okay, all of us have played the game. We don't, I don't play the lottery, but I've played the lottery game, right? Where if I want, you know, you hear, you know, Powerballs, a hundred billion whatever dollars. If I got that, mama's getting a new house, right? <laughs> Grandma's going to get what she needs. I'm going to get a, a car for somebody over here. This person's going to, right? We've, we've played that game as though wealth will solve all of our problems and all of the problems of those who we love. One, one person once said, they say it's better to be poor and happy than rich and miserable. But couldn't something be worked out to being moderately wealthy and a little moody? Right? (laughs) Yet as Christians, if we spend any time in the Bible, we quickly learn that the Bible has many warnings about the dangers of wealth, about the trap of wealth, about how wealth can easily pull our faith away from God to pursue wealth, or how we can find ourselves in great sin for the pursuit of wealth. How we orient it, how we think about wealth, the perspective in which we think about wealth and resources and ultimately stewardship of our things and the things that God gives us says a lot about our faith. It says a lot about our faith. If you want to see what a man really believes in, look at his schedule and look at his checkbook. Right? Or it's, it's online banking now, right? Look at, look at the, the online banking. But it shows so much. Because we can say all day long, this is what I believe, this is what I think. But how are we spending our resources and how are we spending our time? That will truly reveal what it is that we think. So today I want us to think about how we can keep the thought and the idea of wealth in the proper perspective. That it wouldn't become a deterrent for us, that it wouldn't become something that would pull us away from the Lord. In fact, First um, Timothy six nine through ten gives a uh, uh, one of these warnings here. It says, "Those who want to get rich fall into the temptation and the snare that many foolish and harmful desires, which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money 
is a root of all sorts of evil. And some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves for many griefs. And even as we read that text so often, we think, yes, I know, I know money could be a danger, I know, but, but I think I could handle it. Do we truly have a godly perspective when it comes to our finances, when it comes to the wealth that, that God has given us, whatever portion that may be? Because there's a great temptation. There's a great temptation always instead of dependence upon God. God, you will help me through this. God, you will provide for this. God, you will give me what I need to do this. The great temptation is we could say, if I just had the money to get through this, right? And it doesn't matter at what level you're at. I mean, I remember being a poor college student thinking, I just need that $500 to pay bills, you know? As you get older, you get kids, things change, the numbers change, right? But the distractions and the temptations are still there. So if you would, if you have your text, look with me with, at James chapter 5. And we're going to look here at verses 1 through 6. And this is God's word. It says, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted. Your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and your silver have corroded. And their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. And he does not resist you. Again, here in this text, this is probably one of the, the most forceful parts of James. This condemnation that he writes out for the rich and for the judgment that is going to come upon them for the way that they have treated the righteous. It's, it's, it reads very much like an Old Testament prophet, does it not? He, he reads here and he, he reads that there is no, um, there, there's, there's no sign of repentance here. You know, there's a, there's a lot of debate. Who's he writing to? Well, I think it's very clear. He's writing to the, to the, to the rich that are oppressing the church. Remember, this church was originally the, the church of Jerusalem. They have been scattered. James is writing to encourage them in their faith, to encourage them in their trials. The, the very beginning of this book starts off with these great trials that they're under. Count it all joy, brethren, when you face various trials. So trials is the theme of the book. And it seems as though at some point, in some way, the rich where these people have, have migrated to because they've been forced out of Jerusalem, the rich are taking advantage of them. They are oppressing them. And so James writes here not, not to people within the family of God, not to people within this church, but for those outside, very much like an Old Testament prophet. In verse 7 of chapter 5, you see a shift where he begins to address the brethren. And we'll look at that next week. So we see that shift there. So again, this isn't a passage of, of you rich who have oppressed, turn and repent. This is in your pride, in your arrogance, in what you are pursuing against the righteous. God is just. You know, why would he write 
to a group of people? Why would he, why would he write this section to a group of people who, who are not going to... They're not going to read it, right? He's writing to the church. They're not distributing this to the rich people that are oppressing them. I think there's two reasons here, and I think it's important for us to think about this because it, it tells us why James put this in the letter. The first reason that, that we can think of this is because he's reminding the people of God, you are being oppressed for being righteous. It will not always be this way. God is just. God hears. He knows. There will be restitution. Trust in Him. The second reason, I think, is that it should warn us not to fall into the sins that are being carried out. And again, this is extremely important because when you particularly are oppressed, when you are in a tough spot, when finances are tough, the temptation is what? If I just had enough money, it'd make it okay. Or we, we, we navel gaze. We look, we look over to someone else and we say, man, they've got it so easy. You know, they've got the resources to do this. Look at the vacations they go on. Look at the, the photos they put up on, on Facebook all the time. You know, look at the house. They've got it so easy. If I just had it like that. Rather than directing our faith to God. Rather than saying, Lord, here's where you have me. Here's what you have blessed me with. How can I live for you? How can I do this? And so we must recognize at all times that, that, that greed, how do we think about money, how we think about resources, greed is a temptation that is always, always pressing upon us. So there's three things here I think we can learn from this text. The first is that wealth can increase your problems. So a godly perspective on finances, on wealth, uh, faith, looking at, at, at the concept, the idea of, of, of wealth through faith is to realize that it's not the cure for everything. In fact, it can greatly increase your problem. The Bible teaches in many different ways that wealth is a great temptation. There are many, perhaps you know many in your own life, who have departed from the way of God. They've departed from their faith. Perhaps they've denounced their faith because at some point in their life they decided pursuing money at all costs is greater than pursuing a life of righteousness. We've seen this, right? This is a great temptation. In fact, you think of Jesus as he speaks to the rich young ruler in Matthew 19. He says, truly I say to you, he, he, he offers the rich young ruler a way to come and to follow him. He says, give away everything that you have. And he can't do it. It says because he had much. It was too much. He couldn't give away his money. He couldn't just follow the Lord. And Jesus replies and says, Truly I say to you, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples that were with him, they were astonished by this. And they said to him, Then who can be saved? And Jesus replies, With man it is impossible, but with God all things are possible. The lure and the temptation of wealth and the accumulation of wealth in our lives is such a temptation that it takes the power of God to break that. Do we understand that? Do we live that way? Do we think that way? Or again, do we look at wealth? Do we look at what we could get, at, 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 at how much we could accumulate? And that is our security. That is where our faith lies and that my money will provide for me. 
And we might not say it that way, but do we think that way? It's opposite of faith, isn't it? It's an opposite understanding than of faith in God. So the first thing that we should, we see that wealth can increase our problems. It doesn't just solve everything. The first thing that we see in this text is that wealth can lead us to eternal destruction. Uh, This is what James is saying here. He begins in verse 1. He says, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your your riches have rotted. Your garments are moth-eating. Your gold and silver have corroded. And their corrosion will be evidence against you. And you will eat and will eat your flesh in the lake of fire. You have laid up your treasure in the last days. This is a, a forceful point here that he's making to the rich that eternity awaits. Friends, there is a reality beyond which we experience right now. There is eternity. One day we will all stand before the Lord. We will stand before the Lord. And maybe it's wealth, maybe it's something else, maybe it's your sin, maybe it's a, a, a pleasure that you know is wrong, but you will not give up. And it stands and condemns you. We're all sinners. This is why we need Christ. And God is gracious. God doesn't look upon our sin towards Him and write us off. But He provided a sacrifice. An atonement. He became sin who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God. Oh, what a great exchange God has provided for us that Christ came died in our place, that if we would have faith in Him, live for Him, trust in Him, that we might be saved from whatever the sin may be. And yet, this message of love, this message of hope, the majority of people will mock and walk away. Friends, don't be one of them. Oh, would you take seriously eternity Would you take seriously that this life is but a vapor? That your 60 to 80 to 90 to 110 years maybe is but a moment in eternity. Lay up not treasures here on earth, but treasures in heaven. Would your life not be marked by the accumulation of wealth and stuff, but of righteousness? of pursuing God and loving others. The wealth here, they have three main indicators of wealth that we see here. In, in, in this time, you know, you didn't, have, you didn't have investments like we think of. You know, he, didn't, he didn't call out their portfolio. But he calls out three things here that was indicators of wealth. First was their grain. They could store it in large silos. They could pack it away. But it says your grain is rotten. In light of eternity, it is worthless. Second, there was clothing. In the first century world, you might do good to have an extra shirt. And yet the rich would parade themselves in fine things. It says your clothing in light of eternity is moth-eaten. It has been destroyed. It is worthless in comparison The third is investments in things like gold and silver. Even to them, it says, it has corroded. It stands and testifies against you. Friends, the point here is this. What good is your wealth at your day of judgment? 
What good is it? What good was the, the wealth that all of Israel had at AD 70 when Titus the emperor came and sacked Jerusalem? Absolutely destroyed it. They say it killed a million Jews. What good was their wealth? It did them nothing. Do not trust in what you have laid up. Do not trust in the treasures you have laid up in the last days, James chapter 3, verse 3 says here. Do we understand wealth like that? Do we have that perspective? Do we think about wealth and think, man, it would sure be nice to have not not have to think about money. I think of Forrest Gump, okay? Like they invested in Apple and, and there's a line he says, well, we don't have to think about money anymore. He's like, well, that's a good thing. Like, I would love to be at that point in life. But at the same time, do we realize the temptations of greed, the temptations of trusting in our resources instead of trusting in our Lord. The second thing that we can see here is that wealth can bring temporary comfort but long-term misery, and that's what's happening here. It's it's easy to say, especially when you're oppressed, is to look at people who have it all and say, man, they've got it all, they have it so easy, and here I am, I, I have it so hard. And James is writing to put things in perspective to these people. It may look as though they're living on easy street right now, but soon will come a day when they will be judged. And it will not be easy. That puts it in perspective, doesn't it? It helps to to put in perspective. Lord, you know, things are a struggle sometimes, but you've greatly blessed me. You've provided everything that I've ever needed. And I know that as I need things coming up, you will provide for me. That's real security. That's, that's, that's faith. Not faith in ourselves, faith in our recesses, but faith in our Lord. And you know what's interesting is what I've observed is that the ones who express that kind of faith are the ones who the Lord often blesses. Why? Because he knows that they'll be good stewards of that which he gives them. Right? He, he, he often gives to those people because he knows that, that as I bless them, they bless others. I, I don't want you to think that this, this passage is a, is a condemnation of, of anybody who would be wealthy in any way. I don't know many, but I've, I've met a few people of substantial wealth, Christians, who have done incredible things with what the Lord has blessed them with, with their talents, with, their, um, with, with, with different things. And they've done things that have furthered the gospel in incredible ways. You know, our institutions at Southern Baptist, our seminaries have huge endowments that that, that many who have worked hard and and been blessed by the Lord have said, I want to train people. I, I met an individual at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary this past year who's given a substantial amount for the seminary to to have some new facilities. And I got to talk with her, and her and her husband have been greatly blessed. They, they loved the Lord and they prayed, and they said, how can we impact the next generation with what the Lord has given us that the gospel may advance? And they said, we're going to train ministers. And so they gave a substantial gift to the seminary to train ministers that the gospel would go out and that people would come to the Lord everywhere. That's incredible, isn't it? So again, don't look at this and think anybody with money is an evil, rotten person. Because in churches sometimes, we can look at that too. 
But the point is, is what are you trusting in? What is the basis? How do you think about it? The second thing that we see here is, the, the, the first is don't think that, that money will solve all your problems because often it leads to bigger problems. The second is don't use your wealth in an ungodly manner. And here's, here's the big issue that's happened here to the wealthy that James is addressing. And there's four things here that they have done. The first is don't hoard your wealth. We see this in verses 2 or 3. They have grain houses full. They have closets full. They have gold, you know, just full. They're hoarding. They're gathering. They're doing everything they can to, to gather and to hoard for themselves this wealth and, and amass it. This is against the way that the Bible says that the Lord blesses us. We're blessed to be a blessing. Now, it doesn't mean that we live hand to mouth every day is it is it okay to save yes please the bible has the bible has and talks about that that, that there's there is uh there's good in that there's value in that but don't begin to amass for yourself that which you could never use and don't need just to have it do you see the difference well where's that line pastor i don't know but are you prayerfully considering that in your life are you prayerfully considering, I, I have this, I've taken in this, the Lord has blessed me here. Now I want to use some of this to bless someone else. Or is your mentality, it's mine. And I'm going to hold on to it as tight as I can. It's a heart issue. It's a heart issue. Second thing that we see that is happening here is don't cheat people out of money. The rich, we see in verse 4, the laborers were coming out to work the fields. And, and in this, this culture, day laborers would often be paid at the end of the day. And so something's happening where the, uh, the, the, the employer is changing the rules or not paying them or not paying them enough. Have you ever worked for this guy? I have. I worked for a guy once and like he picked me up. He bought me lunch. And then when it came time to pay me, he charged me for picking me up and buying me lunch. <laughs> he charged me a lot. <laughs> Didn't know that on the front end. The point here is don't cheat people out of money to better yourself. And I have to tell you, as I was thinking about this and I was praying about this, the Lord really got to me because I'm often a cheapskate. <laughs> like... You don't want me to buy something from you, okay? I'm, I can be bad about it. I can, I can just be bad. Um, you know, I, 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 <laughs> I told my kid, like, I, I've really been, it's, it's really gotten on me. Are we, are we okay to buy things at a fair price? Like, I struggle with this because I don't want to buy something at a fair price. I want to, I, I want to get you when you're hurt and get the best deal I can. Okay, you all look at me in judgment, but I know I'm not the only one, right? I mean, I told my kid, I've taught my kids to look for the three D's: divorce, death, and desperation. When you're looking to buy something used, okay? I got to tell myself, you know, it, it, it's yes. Look for a fair value for something. That's fine, but don't don't try to hurt people because they're disadvantaged in leverage when you're, when you're making a deal. Does that make sense? Are you with me? It's a hard issue, isn't it? And I, I'll tell you, this is really spoken to me on this, is because, because I will 
try to do that, you know? And the, the worst thing is, after I make a deal, they go, well, what do you do? I'm the pastor. At... <laughs> They're thinking, he took my lunch. So how do we think about that? Are we trying to cheat others out? Maybe it's not as extreme as what they're saying here that you're cheating people out of their wages, but are you doing everything you can to take advantage of everyone to get the upper hand? Look for a fair deal. Look for something that's, that's fair, right? Be treated the way in dealings that you would want to be treated. Third thing that that we see here. Don't live in luxury and self-indulgence. So um, this reminds me of the, the, the story about Lazarus and the rich man. If you remember, Jesus talks about, and there's a, there's a rich man, and he has everything. I mean, it's extravagant as you could imagine. And there's a poor man, Lazarus, there who's got sores on him, and he's just begging for the scraps that fall off the rich man's table. And so from a worldly perspective, you have one that's great and one that's very lowly. Jesus says they die. Lazarus is next to Abraham. The rich man is in hell. His wealth, what seemed to be so important on earth, eternally did not matter. Do we live in luxury and self-indulgence? It's easy to say, no, I don't, because we look at the comparison of those that, that obviously do, right? I don't, I don't collect Ferraris, so I must, I must be okay here. But at the same time, are, are, we, are we living simple, godly lives using the resources that God has given us? I'm not saying you can't buy quality things. I'm not saying you can't buy good things. But in your heart, are you, are you living in a way where money is your goal, where money is your God, where I want to impress everybody with this thing. That's not a godly way of life, is it? And again, it's a hard issue. I'm not going to draw a line for you. I'm not, uh, I'm not going to say you, you can't drive this brand or pay this much for a house. But in your heart, have you thought about it? Have you prayed about it? Are you sympathetic for those who don't have that? Are you willing to give? Are you willing to share? Are you willing to be a good steward, to take care of your family? We're called to do that, to take care of yourself, the needs that you have. We're, we're called to do that with the resources that God has given you, but also to take care of the other things that God has said, to help with others, to help support the ministry of the church. Or are we greedy? Do we want it all? Is money our God? The, the fourth thing that we see here is don't hurt others for the sake of profit. And we see this in verse 6. If you look at verse 6 in, in the text here, it says, you have condemned and murdered the righteous person. So we're like, nope, didn't do that. I'm good on this one, right? <laughs> I haven't murdered anybody for money. But it's interesting, this word condemned here, there's a, there's a, there's a lot of question as to what exactly James is, is referring to. Because it seems as though what they're talking about is individuals who are using the courts or using the legal systems to oppress others for their own gain. And that can happen in the courts, can it? It, it? it can happen in the courts. Often it can happen, we see this happen in the courts, if the federal government gets involved. Because they can take on a case and they don't, they don't have a, a dollar figure saying it's not worth it. They just push it, push it, push it. And so we've seen lots of, lots of things where, where, where people who shouldn't have been 
prosecuted and, and drugged through the mud are done. But in this day and age, here, it was easy to oppress poor people. You have to remember, in, in all but the last hundred years, pretty much all of us would be slaves. Many of the slaves, especially in, in Jesus' time in Rome, most of what you have in slavery is indentured slaves. Individuals who owe money to someone and they cannot pay the money and so they are put into that individual service until restitution has been made. Okay? Credit cards. <laughs> right? Could you imagine if you, know, if, 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 you, if you put something on the credit card, if it meant you're the slave? Well, you kind of are if you think about it, aren't you? Until you pay it off. But see, so what's happening here is they're utilizing the legal system to oppress others. And it says they don't even resist you. The point a lot of the commentators make here is that the, the, the balances are so weighed against the poor people that they can't even resist. They can't buy a lawyer. They don't know what to do. And so in some sense, at least even individuals are being murdered. Their lives are being taken because of this greed. That an individual can get more and more and more. They'd say it's legal. There are many opportunities today in, in our world where an individual can exploit and take advantage of poor and needy people and say, it's legal. You know, as Christians, we should not desire wealth so much that we'd be willing to hurt somebody to get it. Does that make sense? There's a lot here, isn't there? So these, these four things, technically it was legal. So wealth can be a trap. We have to be careful in how we, in, in, in how we utilize our resources. Be careful not to avoid some of these things that James brings up here as ways to gain unrighteous wealth. The third thing I want to leave you with is an encouragement to be faithful in stewardship. To, to realize that the Lord is the one who gives us everything. All that we have is a gift from God, the giver of all good things. Amen? You say, well, I worked for it. Who gave you the ability? Who gave you the breath? Who provided those opportunities for you? Work. Work hard. Be diligent. Do what the Lord has put before you. And I pray that you're prosperous. I, I pray that these things uh, you know, work well for you. But don't, at the end of the day, hold on to it and say, it's mine. Do we realize that we are stewards? Do we realize that God has placed in our care so many things for us to handle correctly? Finances, children, you know, all of these things. Do we, do we live that way? That's a life of faith, right? That's a life of faith in the Lord that we are dedicating and we're thinking about as we go about doing things. We're, we're considering how we use it for the Lord, how the Lord has blessed us and how we use it for Him. Let me just ask you a couple questions as we, as we end here in relation to this. Um, have you, have you, when's the last time you've thought about, am I being a good steward of the finances of the things that the Lord has given me? 
When have you assessed that? Have you assessed your retirement and your portfolio much more than you've assessed, Lord, how should I use these things? It's easy to do. It's easy for us to fall into that trap to separate our faithfulness from our finances. But the Bible's very clear. The Bible's very clear that how we utilize our wealth, how we utilize our finances, how we think about money, how we use it, it reveals truly our faith, doesn't it? It reveals our faith. Are you spending wisely? Are you giving to the Lord? Are you, are you offering? Are you supporting the work of the ministries you are called to do? Are you being generous and allowing the things that God has given you to glorify Him? I'm not even calling you all to, to sell it all and, and give it to the poor. But ultimately, if you get before the Lord and you pray and you assess yourself and you say, Lord, how, how am I doing with that which you've given me? What would the Lord say? Perhaps there's something on your heart. Perhaps there's an individual on your heart that the Lord has called to help. Perhaps there's, there's, a, there's a cause. Perhaps you, you are praying. I've, I've had a few of you pray. tell me that you've been praying about how, as we move forward with the sanctuary renovation, how you can give. And I would encourage you to do that as a church. But are you praying? Are you considering the Lord in how you manage the resources that He's given you? This text is a good reminder because it shows us individuals who have great wealth, who have great extravagance, but they're eternally empty. Their riches will rot. The way that they have gained their wealth will testify against them, and ultimately, they will be judged. Friends, let us have a faith that rightly thinks about finances. Let us glorify God with all that we have. And let us live to please Him. Would you pray with me? Father.